Hey, welcome, welcome, everybody. Here we are, back again. It's uh, October, and we're here for season two of Wigs for Wigs. Uh, once again, I'm joined by our most frequent guest, Bill Benizia. Uh, Bill, it's season two. What do you think? I'm amazed we even made it <laughs> into season two. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy that we have a season two, and uh, looking forward to continue the conversation. I, I was shocked personally to hear that some people are actually, are actually listening to this thing uh, us talking about. <laughs> They're mostly relatives on my part. Uh, okay, but you got to start somewhere, right? So yeah. relatives, students I forced to listen. Um, but season two, here we are. We're going to get going here on uh, our first topic for season two. It's going to be related to sports, our most popular episode of season one was related to sports when we had our discussion about race and sports following uh, Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL. So we're going to get going here talking about sports again. And what we're going to do here to kick off season two is we're going to talk about the topic of can you really compare athletes across eras of sports history? Over the summer, a couple things have happened in the world of sports that have kind of sparked our curiosity about this question. One is that Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees recently, he wound up with 62, correct? 62. Uh, so he hit 62 home runs. That broke Roger Maris's American League record, as well as the Yankees team record. Um, and there's been a lot of people saying, you know, Aaron Judge is the new Babe Ruth, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Talking about Aaron Judge and home run hitters of the past. And another thing that happened over this summer, more, more unhappily, is that the great Bill Russell passed away. Uh, All-time NBA great, uh, not just as a player, but also as a pioneer in the world of basketball and the world of sports. And uh, the NBA retired his number throughout the league, appropriately so, I think. But we're going to talk about Bill Russell and his place in history and how we compare athletes throughout uh the different eras of, of sports history. So, Bill, where do you want to get started in this discussion? Well, it's, it's tough to compare them. Um, I, I think you have to categorize the eras. You know, just to give you an example, uh, I did a little research, and uh, in 1936, Jesse Owens won all these gold medals at the Berlin Olympics. Uh, and if you want to compare him to, so say, Usain, Usain Bolt, Bolt yeah. you know, um, just uh, as a matter of, uh, of, of physical stature, you know, yeah. Owens was 5'11", 165 pounds. Usain Bolt was six foot five, 207 pounds. But the difference between the performance in the two areas is not that different because Owens did the 100-meter uh, dash in 10.3 seconds. Okay. Bolt did it in 9.63 seconds. There's not a big distinction. When you factor in the size difference between the two men, when you factor in today's modern training, right. and the potential for enhanced performance, but I'm not saying you're saying Bolt. Oh, no, I don't no, I, I think he did it legit. Uh, also, his 200 meters, Jesse Owens did it in 20.7 seconds. Bolt did it in 19.32. So, you know, the, the difference is kind of marginal, but again... It's a similar fractional margin between yeah, the two. You know, I think, I think if you talk about, you know, baseball, for example, of course we had the dead ball, dead ball era, you know. And by the way, uh, the king of the dead, 
ball era was uh, was the second baseman oh. uh, was was Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner. Yes, and the, he could not stomach the <laughs> home run era that Babe Ruth. He thought no, Babe he Ruth was a sideshow freak, and didn't like the way baseball was going. And Allegedly, they asked Ty Cobb to say something nice about Babe Ruth. Now, this is according to Al Stump's biography of Ty Cobb. There's been a lot of questions about whether Al Stump's biography was accurate or exaggerated and made up a lot of it. But allegedly, Ty Cobb, the only thing he could say about him was he ran all right for a fat guy. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but it's, you know, then, you, then, of course, both of those guys did not play with people of color. Right. You know, and, you know, that advent started in the 50s and 60s when baseball changed. And I think the advent of people in color brought a different element to the game. Not only could, were they great athletes, but they could hit, field, they could run, uh, they could pitch. You know, um, I think... If Babe yeah. Ruth, you know, faced Satchel Paige in barnstorming games, Did that would have been the great oh, matchup of that time period. But we don't really have great records of what happened in those barnstorming games to kind of have an idea of how Babe Ruth did against what would have been the premier black competition of the time. No one knew what Satchel Paige's real age was. Well, People say that he didn't Satch get... Satchel's one of my favorite figures of sports. Uh, absolutely. You know, he, he actually... Some people say he was in his 50s when he got to <laughs> pitch with Cleveland. Yeah. You know, uh, and um, he pitched until allegedly he was 62 years old. Another factoid about the guy. You know how pitchers would ice their arms down? He took hot showers and used hot water on his arm. Yeah. He, <laughs> he equated that to basically longevity of his arm. He had like a rubber arm. You know, he could, he could pitch, you know, on two days rest. There wouldn't be a question about that. Why do you, you know? think that is? I mean, I know that's not really our topic, but why do the pitchers back then, why could they pitch every day? And the, the guys today seem to blow out their arms if they I think because throw 100 pitches five days apart. I think, well, number one, did he throw as hard as some of the pitchers today. Well, I mean, no, almost certainly not. He um, didn't throw as hard, number one. Uh, I'm sure he had a fastball, but he threw probably every single day. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said with building your arm strength up. You know, I read somewhere that uh, uh, the, the pitcher from the Cleveland Indians, Bob, Bob Feller. Bob Feller. Bob Feller used to practice throwing a football to basically strengthen his arm. And I think that down through the years, I've noticed that with uh, other pitchers doing the same thing. Roger Clemens used to do that. Yeah. You know, and that well, Roger to, Clemens did other things too. Other things too. Oh. But, uh, you know, it's, I, I think once you get up to, I believe that steroids probably played a factor in baseball starting in the 70s, you know, That's in the 80s and, and hit a peak in the 90s, you know. Um, and so I think I'm not, I'm not, I don't care about the asterisks, but maybe the solution to, okay, who's the all-time home run leader should be that we categorize the eras. By era. I, By I think era. that probably is. I think it would be the fairest. The, the fair thing, right. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, in the 1990s when Barry Bonds is hitting a ton of home runs, well, everybody's hitting a ton of home runs. Yeah. How many new people joined the 500 home run club in the 1990s and early 2000s after, you know, such a small club for years and years in terms of that? Going back to the pitchers, uh, you know, saying Satchel Paige, you know, did he throw as hard as the guys today? Certainly not. 
uh, you know, today the average fastball is something like 93, 94 miles an hour. Probably Satchel Paige never threw a pitch, a single pitch that fast in his life. But Satchel Paige, Walter Johnson, Bob Feller, who you brought up, these guys, whatever speed they were actually throwing, because they weren't on a radar gun, nonetheless, they were throwing a lot faster than anybody else at their time. Yeah. Um, that is undeniable based on the first-hand accounts. So is, is that more impressive in a way than saying, like, you know, uh, whoever you want to pick today, or Aldous Chapman throws 101 miles an hour. Occasionally it's Everybody's throwing 96. So yeah. Yeah. is the fact that Walter Johnson was throwing whatever it may have been right. so much faster than the other guys at his time, Again, that kind of comes into this question about comparing people across eras. He was so much better than anybody else in his era. Can you say that about the people today that are throwing a couple miles an hour faster? No, I think it's more impressive when you have a, a, a guy like, say, the guy's going to start for the Yankees tonight, Nestor Cortez. Um, this year, he increased his speed to 93, 94. He didn't throw that hard before that. His ability to get people out you know, and have a whip of under one, you know, I think it's 0.73, and to, to basically have 163 strikeouts, I think he learned how to pitch, how to learn how to change angles, uh, you know, a quick pitch. I think, he, I think it's incumbent on the player to succeed in today's game if they don't have a 90 seven to a hundred mile an hour fastball. Although baseball looks for that. And maybe that's the reason for all the Tommy John surgeries. You know, maybe that's it's too much of a stress on that uh, that ligament in their in their throwing arm, you know, yeah. in their elbow. So baseball baseball is perhaps the most statistics obsessed sports sport yeah. in the world. Um, and you brought up, you know, maybe we should have separate categories for home run totals at different times in baseball history. I'm thinking about, you know, kind of the milestones. Baseball is so built on milestones. 500 home runs, 3,000 yeah. hits, uh, 300 wins as a pitcher. That is not going to happen anymore. Exactly. Today's so so yeah. kind of where is that new benchmark? Because you can't compare somebody's win totals today. You know, you can't say Justin Verlander's not an all-time great because he's going to wind up in the 230s, 240s in terms of wins. No, I think when, he's... In I the th era that he played in, that's... <laughs> I think he was dominant in, in his era. I think that given the fact that uh, Musina uh, got into the Hall of Fame, you know, with 270-something wins, I think 273 or something, something like, like that. that. You know, I think that that lets guys like Verlander and other pitchers in because you're not going to see pitchers with 300 wins anymore. I mean, it gives, um, it gives some... Uh, a boost to say C.C. Sabathia's career, right. mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, a guy like Andy Pettit with about 240 or 250 wins. Another Yankee in. cheater. Uh, a cheater, <laughs> yeah. Well, he cheated. He admitted it, though. Yeah, you know, he did. <laughs> I don't think you'll see. Him, I don't think you'll see any of the steroid guys get in. But you know, they the records are there. Baseball doesn't seem to be interested at all in changing or putting an asterisk next to their name. But if they categorize the eras or if the understanding for the baseball writers, who sometimes I don't know if they, they should be the ones who should be electing players or not, because it becomes so political then. Yeah, this, you know, is, this is also... Al Albert Bell. 
yeah. Albert Bell, who, who's got all the numbers. Yeah. The he, university hated by the writers. Not, I'm not saying he did in his case any, any well, but there's a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame by the numbers, but yet people remember the dour, sour personality yeah. And that there uh, are people of that era also who have not gotten into the Hall of Fame because they didn't accumulate the numbers that live up to that era, even though all time they seem to be Hall of Fame caliber numbers. Fred McGriff comes to mind, yeah. who I don't think anybody suspects used steroids. No. Had certainly the numbers throughout his career that match up with almost any first baseman in the Hall of Fame, and yet never even came close really to getting to the Hall of Fame because in his era it looked like. You know, he was just a mediocre first baseman. Well, one in just... But Mark McGuire is hitting 70 home runs. <laughs> yeah. With court, Fred with McGriff is hitting 40 every year. I mean, that doesn't yeah. look that impressive. <laughs> no, it's sort of like Henry Aaron, who is steady, slow and steady, wins the race. He had the gift of longevity, took care of himself, you know. Um, yeah, it is, it is kind of sad that uh, he gets overlooked. By the way... Fred McGriff was uh, drafted by the Yankees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, they had the, the, the stupidity of letting him go. <laughs> Albert Pujols reached 700 home runs yeah. this season. I'll use a uh, Mike Francesa term, compiler. What's he done in 10 years? Well, that's true. You know, you know? But let's come back to Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge, uh, again, you know, you have people, and I don't think you're one of these people, but some people saying, you know, Aaron Judge is the new Babe Ruth. And I have, I have big issue with that because let's again looking at eras babe ruth literally was out homering entire teams yes yep in his era yep that's not aaron judge is not doing that no um, no so uh, you're looking at the era that they play in yeah aaron judge is one of the great home run hitters of today awesome he set the american league record great for him you know bravo um good for you aaron judge but you're not out homering entire teams no um, no, that's, that's true. Uh, I, I think he's a, a, a very, very good player. The proof is going to be in the pudding if he can put back-to-back -to -back seasons together. Yeah, well, I'm also, not saying hit 62 or even no, hit 70. Hit, what, what's have the another record? season 73? of 45, 50 at least. Yeah, you know, um, like, yeah. I mean, and, back -back. and hitting 300 would, would, would add to well, the Well, wherever case. he plays next year, too. Yes, and it's not going to be with the Mets. I can uh, tell you that now. Well, you get enough I, I free agents to um, but uh, let's let's come to basketball. Let's uh, let's shift gears here, and and again, Bill Russell passed away this this summer. One of the all-time greats. You can't take him off of any Mount Rushmore of basketball. No. The guy won eleven championships in his playing career. Thirteen um, years. So two Olympic gold medals. Also gold medals. Uh, dominated his his era that he was playing in. You know. But, you know, I, I have this discussion with my students in sports history a lot who are basketball fans. You take Bill Russell and you put him in today's NBA. I mean, what is Bill Russell going to do? But that's not really a fair thing to say because Bill Russell completely dominated the time period he played in. But it's such a different game in the NBA of today than what Bill Russell was playing in in the 1950s and 1960s, 1970s. Well... Joe, the league was different then because it was dominated by big men. Right. You know, from George Mikan to Wilt Chamberlain to Bill Russell, you know, to even a guy like Walt Bellamy. Look at yeah. Walt Bellamy's numbers. He averaged over 20 points and over 15 rebounds a game for his career. You know, uh, and Nate Thurman is another one. The game changed. Right. Once they put the three-point exactly. line yeah. in, 
Basketball changed. Yeah, now, people have to remember there was no three-pointer in the yeah. NBA until the 1980s. Fun fact to know and tell. Who's the first The goal person, was to get as close to the basket as you could and put the ball in the hoop. Who's the first person in basketball to hit a three-point shot in the NBA? I don't know the answer. Chris Ford from the Boston Celtics. <laughs> and it, it kind of, to me, ruined the game a little bit. But you know what? My question is, could Bill Russell, the question you posed, can Bill Russell play today? Now, if you look at Russell, well, there's no such thing as a center in the NBA today. So. No, but there is such thing as a, a. He definitely wouldn't fit the bill as a stretch four, uh, a big man who can shoot from the outside. Because Russell could not shoot from the outside, but he ran the floor well. He basically protected the rim. He protect. He got rebounds, and he was a good passer for his size. Having said that, in today's NBA, you don't see big dominant centers. He could play center in the NBA because he could run, too. He ran the court floor. Yeah. I mean, the Boston Celtics <laughs> ran, you know, and he basically started it and followed it up. He scored mostly on dunks, you know, uh, but he did average 16 points a game in his career. You know, he also averaged over 20 rebounds in his <laughs> career. You know, we think about that. Those are phenomenal numbers. I think he averaged about five assists, which were, were pretty good considering some of the great guards that he played with, yeah. like Bob Cousy, the, the Jones brothers, Bill mm -hmm. Sharman, yep. you know, John Havlicek. Havlicek you also. Know? I mean, Russell was lucky because he was surrounded by a, a team. You know, he won 11 out of 13, uh, and he had a lot to do with it, don't get me wrong. He was perennially their MVP. Um, but he was also the MVP, I think, of the Civil Rights Movement. Well, yeah. And, yeah. I, I find it funny. He was drafted by the St. Louis Hawks, who traded his rights to Boston. Now, you had two cities back in the 50s that were hotbeds of racism. And he goes from one to the other. Uh, wasn't well received. And by the way, they didn't draw flies until the 60s, until the bird era, the Boston Celtics. Uh, and he basically was, he, 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 he had his, he bought a house in the suburbs of Boston. His house was damaged with racist remarks painted yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, someone defecated on his dining room table and killed his dog. I know, it's hard to believe it, the things that he now, had to go through. You're, for, you're, you're, you're basically born into this. You're, you're, this is your sum total of your experience, which is your reality. Uh, no wonder he was an advocate when guys like Willie Mays was asked to basically step up and he didn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, Russell got Jimmy Brown, who was the best football player of the time. Right. He got, he took Jabbar under his wing. Yep. You know, they basically supported Muhammad Ali when he stood up to the government and yep. refused to be inducted into the armed service. You know, uh, Russell to me, was as valuable a player for the civil rights movement as an athlete who was out in front as he was in basketball. I, I agree. You know, um, and by the way, just as a personal note, when I was in grammar school, I read the book, uh, Basketball Scars of 1964. <laughs> I bought it in grammar school, Scholastic Book Service. <laughs> and when I read about Russell, I wasn't really into basketball that much, but had won all these championships. I became a Celtic fan, <laughs> and I went to Kuchar's All-Star Sports, bought a green jersey with white piping, bought his number six, the letters of Celtics, uh, one for the front, one for the back, and had my father, who was a tailor, sew those onto that jersey. I passed that jersey on to my younger brother, who was six years younger mm -hmm. than me, and he became a Celtic fan, mm -hmm. too. You know, We've made a couple of trips up to the, to the old Boston Garden 
before they knocked it down. But Russell, Russell was the first basketball star that attracted me to the sport. You know, and I love the fact that he was such a team player and uh, you know, put such a premium on it. You know, and I loved his laugh. I liked him later in life when he would appear on the Imus in the Morning Show, which I also find pretty ironic that he appeared on that show. But I guess everybody wants to sell, sell a book. But, uh, uh, let's, let's bring the story forward to Michael Jordan. Because uh, obviously you can't have any discussion about basketball talking about the greatest of all time without talking about Michael Jordan. And the debate now, and you hear it from a lot of young people especially, again, I have you know, kids all day talking about sports in my room, um, saying that, well, Michael Jordan didn't really shoot threes, he wasn't as good as LeBron or these other guys today. And again, the era that Michael Jordan played in, that was not the goal still. Even though the three-pointer existed in his career, the goal was not to pull up for a three-pointer on every possession. So, I mean, do I, I fully believe if that was the, the way basketball was played, that's what he would have prepared himself uh, for. I, I think you're right. I think he would have adapted, and he <laughs> did adapt. Michael Jordan, when he came into the league... You know, when, you, when he's in the league, the yeah. guy's shooting threes. Okay, not really in the 80s still. You have maybe Bird is a big three-point shooter and a few others. Through, through then hard work as you get into the 90s, you have yeah. people like Drazen Petrovic and Reggie Miller. Uh, but still, that, that was like a specialist thing. That, you know, that was something they could do, that they could shoot and threes. And they went to enough of them um, during his era with the Chicago Bulls. He learned how to shoot from <laughs> the outside. And not only did he learn it, he became proficient at it. Yeah. I mean, you had to guard his, his first step anyway because it was devastating. Right. You know, and you didn't want to get faced by him when he dunked on Look, you. Look, if you were on a fast break in the so, 1990s and, and you just stopped... 30 feet from the basket and took a three-pointer, yeah, you'd get but, benched. But, but um, he could, he you'd could take an ear-linking from a Pat Riley or somebody if you did that. That's think, just what they do now on fast breaks. They're all looking yeah, to take three-pointers. Think of how he sensed that, okay, all I got to do is pull up and shoot this shot. No one's going to be in my face because I'm going to elevate. He became an outside shooter and a real proficient one. You know, he won, hey, he won six championships. Yeah. I, I have to say, um, you know, LeBron fits in this too. Because he's a freak of nature. Well, yeah. You know, and he can, and uh, he's going to surpass uh, Jabbar as the all-time leading yeah. scorer so, this yeah, year. No doubt about that. You know, and by the way, I if if I'm going to pick my all-time team, and I'm going to leave a, a famous Celtic off the team, hmm. it's uh, it's Jabbar, it's uh, Bill Russell, it's uh, I'm with you so far. Uh, it's it's uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron, and Magic Johnson. And I left Larry Bird off. It's funny, we have the exact same five. Yeah, I, you know, because um, I, I think that... that student team, asked me that a lot. Who would be my all-time five? That team that's would, my all-time five. That team would blow, would blow any team you can put together now, an all-star team, off the court. You know, I have Larry Bird coming off the bench. <laughs> I would give an honorable mention to Tim Duncan, too. I think he's the most oh. underrated player in NBA history. One of the, oh. Yeah, never sought the limelight. You know, fundamentally so sound. You know, he and Kevin McHale had those 1949 John Wooden moves, but they worked. <laughs> but think about the all-time greats who played in the 1990s who never won a championship, never even sniffed one because Michael Jordan dominated the era so much. Yeah, yeah. The Charles Barkleys, the Patrick Ewings. The... Yeah, you know, I think, I think Barkley had a chance with Philly 
you know, because Philly had some awesome talent on that team. They also had some problems, Giles. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they Derek did. Coleman. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, but you know what? It's it's kind of sad that he never got, a, you know, he got close well, with Phoenix. Well, he got Phoenix, close with Phoenix, but he but lost to Jordan. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he was... And then the two years Jordan was out of the league, you know, a year and a half, the Rockets about, won both with Elijah Drexler or so. He could, you know, um, he, Kevin McHale, when the Celtics were good and they had all these battles with the 76ers, Kevin McHale would get, you know, like schooled by this six foot five guy. Kevin McHale was six eleven, you know, and, uh, and McHale was a pretty good defender. Plus, he had a wingspan of like a pterodactyl, <laughs> you know. So uh, it's uh, it, it, Barkley was was something else. He was a great player. I mean, Barkley showed his his greatness in the Dream Team in '92. Yeah, he was the leading scorer of that Olympics. You know, he he was something else. Uh, what was the team? What Angola? Yeah. <laughs> that they beat I don't up. know nothing about Angola, but Angola's in trouble. And, uh, <laughs> and then he, he beat the Then he almost players. broke that guy in half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, so, uh, but, okay, so bottom line, because, again, I mean, as listeners, you all know, we're recording this during a school day. You know, we, we do it when we can. Um, and we're about to have, I'm about to have another class. So bottom line here, let's give some final thoughts. My personal is that, the most important thing you have to look at is how dominant is somebody within their era. I don't think you can compare people across eras. Stats don't match up. No. We didn't even get to football, but stats don't match up in football either, the way the game has changed over the years. And, but again, Walter Johnson's throwing so much harder than anybody else of his time period. Michael Jordan dominated his time period like nobody else has ever seen. More than LeBron has dominated the modern era. Um, I, I don't yeah. think you can question that. So that's my bottom line is how do, Babe Ruth out homering entire teams. That's the bottom line for me is how dominant are you within your era? And that's where you could compare across eras. This guy is that much more dominant during his time period than this guy was during his. I don't care what their stats are in comparison to each other. What's your bottom line? Well, you just made the, the case for it, especially too with baseball. You know, um, because you, you can't, you can't base it. The criteria has to be, are they dominant in that five to six year period? And if they are, they deserve the Hall of Fame. You know, um, football players, real tough. I mean, it's very, we didn't talk about that, but how do you compare the, the say the New York Jets? How do you compare a quarterback of today to a quarterback well, of the 1970s? Well, look at the, look at the Green <laughs> when Bay When it was Packers a ground and pound game. <laughs> the, the Packers dominated the 60s. They didn't have a guy over 250 pounds on their offensive right. line. <laughs> Today, you're small if you're 300 pounds. Yeah. You know, it, it's, and how do you put a guy 250 pounds against a 300 pounder <laughs> and not expect him to get, you know, wiped up? Exactly. So I think we're in agreement on that. that how dominant are you in your era? That's yes. the most important thing. Sandy Koufax dominated. He only had a what eight-year career. Yep. Um, dominated. For five no years. pitcher ever more dominant in that period Absolutely. of time. Yep. That is the most important thing when you're looking at who are the greatest of all time, and that's why Bill Russell makes the list. Dominated his era. That's why Babe Ruth is at the top for me for baseball. We didn't even talk about his pitching. He's yep. one of the great pitchers too, um, but. He just completely was head and shoulders above anybody else of his time period. And that's what you have to look at, in my point of view. Absolutely. Let I, us know your thoughts, listeners. We can always be reached at wigs for wigs W-I-G-S, 
F-O-R-W-H-I-G-S at gmail.com. What do you think? Why, how do you compare athletes across eras? That is it for our episode one of season two. Bill, any last sign-off to the fans? Nothing. We're right at the bell. Right at the bell. (laughs) And we will see you again soon here on season two of Wigs for Wigs. Take care, everybody.